This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. I think we have sound. It appears that we are back. We had a bunch of issues yesterday, especially with Facebook, and I guess even on our stream, uh, you guys weren't getting the commercials at times for whatever reason. Still not sure uh, what the problem was, but uh, thank you for hanging in there. Thanks for coming back today. I think we've got everything uh, uh, diagnosed, and uh, hopefully no problems today. So how about that NFC least? Well, actually, I guess I can't call them that anymore. Uh, Another huge upset. First, the Giants shocked the world by handing the Seattle Seahawks their first loss at home of the season on Sunday. And then yesterday, the Washington football team. I still can't get used to that. That's just the dumbest thing ever. But anyway, I digress. The Washington football team. Ends the Pittsburgh Steelers' undefeated season, beating them twenty-three to seventeen. Now, I, if you had if you had sound yesterday, you probably heard me say, you know, after the Giants won their game on uh, on Sunday, that they'd be able to enjoy first place by themselves for a little while, because there was no chance that Washington was going to beat Pittsburgh. So at least the Giants could be in first place by themselves for a week before they go out to get spanked next week. Uh, <laughs> shows you how much I know. And look, it, w- Pittsburgh went up 14 nothing. Scoreless first quarter, they score two touchdowns, have a 14 nothing lead with 3.54 to go. Washington gets a field goal just before the half to make it 14-3. to Stat of the night. I saw this um, last night watching the game, and if I'm not mistaken, Pittsburgh, when they in their home stadium, when they were leading by 14 points or more, they had only lost once in the history of that stadium. I think it was some some ridiculous number, like 78, one and one, when they had been leading by 14 points. Well. Make it uh, 78-2-1 so that they get the Hopkins field goal. Peyton Barber with a one-yard run makes it 14-10. Matthew Wright hits a field goal. Pittsburgh's got a seven-point lead early in the fourth quarter. I honestly did not see the rest of this coming. I re- you know, Alex Smith, what a story. You have to feel, whether you're a Washington fan or not, you have to feel good for this guy. I mean, this is a guy who looked like after that catastrophic leg injury, he was worried about walking again or even keeping his leg. They were worried about that they might have to amputate this guy's leg at one point. And here he is back in the NFL starting 
Throws for 296 yards and a touchdown. He hits Logan Thomas with a 15-yard pass with nine minutes to go to tie the game. And then Washington controls the ball for the rest of the game. They get a couple more field goals from Hopkins, and they win this thing. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, after they took the lead 20-17, to 17, Dan Zampano uh, on Twitter last night was like, okay, great job. You know, Now Washington just needs to get one more stop. And they got it right away after that field goal. I think it was the first play. Roethlisberger got a pass tipped, and it got intercepted. So then Washington just runs the ball three times, runs runs as much clock as they can. They get another Hopkins field goal, take a six-point lead, and game over. It was unreal. But honest to God, I mean, that's the for me, Alex Smith is the story of the NFL this year. I don't know if the NFL has a comeback player of the year. They must. Well, he's got to win it, right? I mean, uh, just you, you got to feel good for him. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, Washington won this game with no running attack. Their offense was terrible most of the game. They lost Antonio Gibson early in the game to a toe injury. Their biggest offensive weapon, their running game, gets knocked out early. So, you know, there's another reason you're going, well, they've got, when Gibson went out, I was like, well, you know, the only question here is how bad is the score going to be? You know, fortunately for Washington, their defense played their fannies off. I mean, that was really uh, the difference in the game last night. It wasn't because Washington's offense was that great. It was simply about the defense. Uh, Montez Sweat last night was all over Ben Roethlisberger, knocked down uh, three of his passes at the line of scrimmage. You know, just it was and, – and by the way, you know, I'm watching Ben Roethlisberger last night, and, and, you know, he is what he is. But you watch him last night, and I'm watching him, like, walk on and off the field. He walks like he's 110 years old. He walked like I walked last night after uh, doing some, uh, some construction yesterday, helping my daughter renovate her RV and crawling around on the floor and being a contortionist. Last night I could barely move. I'm watching Ben Roethlisberger going on and off the field, and he looked ancient. I mean, he just, you know, and, and but you can't put it all on Roethlisberger. You just have to tip your cap to this Washington Redskins defense last night and tip your cap to Alex Smith. You know, he got sacked three times, but he, again, still throws for two, almost 300 yards, doesn't, you know, throw an interception. And Washington did exactly what they had to do. They did not turn the ball over. They got great defense, and uh, they were able to control the clock. They won the time of possession battle. I mean, it was close, but they still won it. They had more first downs than Pittsburgh. I mean, it's just unreal. So now we have a tie atop the NFC East, the, the New York football Giants and Washington. When was the last... Now, I granted, they're 5-7, and seven, but when was the last time these two teams were sitting on top of the NFC East? So, uh, enjoy it while you can. Washington uh, goes to Arizona next week. But not to take on Arizona. They get to play the San Francisco 49ers. Uh 
San Francisco is playing the rest of their uh, home season in Arizona because of the COVID-19 restrictions at their uh, home stadium in Santa Clara. And Pittsburgh, there is a legitimate chance that Pittsburgh could lose two in a row. They take on a very hot Buffalo Bills team next week. And, you know, this is, I mean, just kind of a coincidence. This is kind of weird. The two teams that played last night in that first game play the two teams that played in the second game next week. So the four teams we saw on Monday Night Football last night all play each other in some form or fashion next week. That's just bizarre. But so the Pittsburgh Steelers could really look, you know, Pittsburgh looked like they had their division wrapped up. They looked like they were going to have best record in the uh, AFC wrapped up. Now they could lose again next week. If Cleveland wins again next week, now we've got a battle in the AFC North. If Cleveland can replicate what they did this week. So, uh, you know, and I guess you, you know, I thought if Pittsburgh was going to lose a game, their best chance to lose a game was going to be next week, a Sunday night game in Buffalo. And, and, and doesn't it just figure they lose a game that nobody expected? And if they tell, and, and I'll, I got to give Dan Zampano credit for this one when you know when I talked to him this week he was you know I didn't ask him to pick this game but he talked about this game and he said you know this Washington defense could give Pittsburgh problems he was right he was absolutely right now he wasn't so right about game number two uh he thought the 49ers were going to beat the Bills last night and Josh Allen said pardon me but I don't think so Josh Allen played perhaps um, if not the best game of his career, it was certainly the best game of his season last night. 375 yards. He was 32 of 40. Four touchdown passes. And Buffalo wins this one easily. 34-24 over the San Francisco 49ers. San Francisco got a consolation touchdown with under a minute to play to make it look better than it was. But this was a dominating performance. Uh, by the Buffalo Bills. And, you know, Josh Allen has a lot of critics out there. I'm one of them. You know, I I have not been sold on Josh Allen as being, in, you know, one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the NFL just because, to me, he's too inconsistent. I think that... You know, there's no question. Look, he's done things in the NFL that nobody else has done, and he's a young kid. I mean, he's already run for a whole bunch of touchdowns and thrown for a whole bunch. The only person that has done what he has done in his career at this point is Cam Newton. You know, his ability to use his legs as well as his arm has been invaluable. And, you know, if he continues to play – uh, like he did last night, you know, his name is going to be mentioned right up there with guys like uh, Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's not there yet. Last night was a great performance, but he's not quite there yet. But boy, he made me—he made a a more of a believer out of me last night. No question about it. And I like the way he spread the football out last night. 
uh, threw to seven different completed passes to seven different receivers, and uh, was completely in control of this game. So now Buffalo, look that look they needed that. Miami is not going away. So Buffalo now with the one game lead in the AFC East at nine and three. Uh, obviously, that hurts the Patriot chances. You know, the Patriots still had hopes, I suppose, of uh, of catching them, but that's not going to happen. You know, I don't think the Patriots are making the playoffs. I know Patriot fans would like to see it happen, but they're going to need an awful lot of collapses to take place for that to happen, and, and it just doesn't look like it's going to be in the cards. But Josh Allen last night, and look, hey, Buffalo hasn't won the AFC East because of everything that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick have done in New England. They haven't won the AFC East since 1995. 1995. So, uh, they're a step closer, no question. Uh, you know, Paul Jerry just checked in on Facebook. He's right. You know, and I, I didn't point this out, and, and that is true, that the Steelers did drop seven passes last night. Seven. What I didn't, I did not realize that they actually lead the league with 31 drops. Uh, ben, Roethlisberger, ben Roethlisberger can't be happy about that. Uh, but that that is true. I'll give him that. But, you know, you can also, Paul, you can also chalk that up a little bit perhaps to footsteps. Maybe that, uh, you know, a couple of hits in the secondary. And, you know, then again, it could just be that a lot of guys on the, uh, on the Steelers have alligator arms, you know. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, seven drops last night certainly does not help. But I, you have to admit, Ben Roethlisberger. Now he didn't get sacked. He did get. He was under a lot of pressure. But they threw the ball fifty-three times last night. They can't run the ball at all. Now you got you got to you, you got to also take into consideration that their top running back, James Conner, didn't play, has not played the last few games. So that's that's an issue. Without any kind of a running attack. You know, they put all the pressure on Roethlisberger, and he did the best he could. So, you know, seven drops certainly doesn't help. But still, uh, you gotta, you can't take it away from that Washington defense. They were very good last night. And, you know, as I said, I talked about, uh, you know, Sweat with the three knockdowns at the line of scrimmage. There were a couple other balls that were tipped as well. Uh, matter of fact, that interception right after – uh, Washington took the lead was one of those balls that was tipped at the line of scrimmage and was immediately intercepted. So, you know, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But still, that Washington defense, very, very good last night. Now, there is another game tonight, uh, another long week in the NFL. Uh, the week uh, 13 concludes tonight when Dallas will take on the Baltimore Ravens. And uh, Lamar Jackson has been activated and they plan on him starting tonight uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. A game that the Ravens have to have. If they are going to have any hope of making the playoffs, they cannot lose tonight. They have to, you know, look, they're not catching Pittsburgh. I, I know Pittsburgh lost last night, but, you know, they're 6-5. and five. They're not catching Pittsburgh, but to have a shot at a wild card, they you probably... To get into a wild card position in the AFC, you are not going to be able to have more than five losses. See, that's why I already think the Patriots don't have a prayer. And if Baltimore loses tonight, as far as I'm concerned, they're out because you look, you've got Vegas 
with five losses sitting in second place. You've got Cleveland with three losses sitting in second place. And then you have uh, Tennessee, Indianapolis, and Miami all with just four losses. So if Baltimore loses tonight, they're done. And the funny part is, as disastrous as a season as this has been for the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, look, you lose your starting quarterback for the season. Uh, you know, it doesn't help. Now, look, they have a capable backup in Andy Dalton. I, I, I realize Dalton had to miss a couple of games with a concussion, but Andy Dalton is a guy that, that uh, is a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. You know, they still have plenty of weapons on that team, yet they're 3-8. and eight. And yet, despite that, if the Cowboys beat the Ravens tonight, they are one game out of first place in the NFC East. That, that's how bad the East has been. Despite the two wins this week by the Giants and Washington, look, the Eagles have been pathetic, and yet the Eagles are still in. The Eagles are, you know, a game and a half back right now. But if you're Dallas, you win tonight, you're still in it. You're still in it. And I, I was uh, teasing Dan last night. You know, Dan was uh, Dallas was Dan's pick to go to the Super Bowl out of the NFC. Now, you know, I got to be fair, and, you know, he didn't realize that uh, Dak Prescott was going to be knocked out for the year. But regardless, I told him he's never living that one down. Uh, so uh, big game tonight for the Ravens. Uh, and, and actually for the for the Cowboys, too, simply because of how bad the East is. So it's going to be a fascinating game. Obviously, you would think Lamar Jackson is going to have a little rust, you know, had him to sit out with the uh, the COVID-19 issue. So we'll see uh, what he is able to do. But um, Michael Vick put it very well on, t- on television last night in the first game at the halftime show. Look, if Baltimore is going to have any chance, Lamar Jackson has to be the Lamar Jackson that we have seen in the past. And he has got to put this team on his back and try to single-handedly uh, carry them. Look, this is the guy who is the reigning MVP in the league, and he has been anything but that this year. So if they're going to have any chance, Lamar Jackson's got to find that magic that he had last year. Uh, only other NFL note I have, uh, not a surprise, I guess, but uh, the New York Jets fired their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, yesterday after that absolutely boneheaded call on the final play of the game against the Las Vegas Raiders when uh, Williams inexplicably on a Hail Mary situation decided to blitz and come with seven guys and uh, leave one-on-one coverage in the secondary that allowed that uh, winning touchdown to score. Uh, Williams got fired by head coach Adam Gase. Uh I don't. I don't see that they had any choice. Look, the te- the the players were killing them. The media was killing them. The fans were killing them. The fans and the media. That's fine. But when your own when players on your team are going, what the hell are we doing? They had no choice here. No choice. Uh, so I, I think it was the right move. And uh, interesting too, um, Williams's son. Blake is also a defensive assistant on the Jets. Now, they didn't fire him. He's kept his job. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, that was a no-brainer because it was perhaps one of the – and I've been – you know, look, we've all watched a lot of football, but it's probably one of the dumbest things I have ever seen. Uh, I mean, there's just – there's no defense. So, anyway, 
All right, let's uh, move on to baseball. We uh, the floodgates are starting to open up. We're gonna we're seeing some trades, and what we're seeing is new general managers stepping into jobs and trying to make um, a splash and make a name for themselves. On Friday, the Texas Rangers hired uh, former Major League pitcher Chris Young as their new general manager. Now, Chris Young was playing as early as 2018 after he retired, uh, was working for Major League Baseball. He was uh, vice president in charge of on-field operations and the umpires uh, with MLB. He actually interviewed for the GM opening with the Mets. Um, and uh, the Rangers reached out to him. And, of course, he used to pitch for the Rangers. That's his hometown team. Uh, he's also pitched for the Padres. He pitched for Seattle. I mean, it, you know, you can't remember. If you don't remember Chris Young, the only thing you might remember about him uh, is uh, six foot ten, big boy. Uh, and look, he was a uh, uh, an accomplished pitcher. He's got a World Series title. He was on the Royals team that won the World Series back in 2015. Uh, a career ERA under four, three point nine five, and in this day and age, that's practically Cy Young material, right? Uh, so uh, he got hired. And now he has made his first big splash. Word came down last night um, after midnight that the Rangers are trading their ace pitcher, Lance Lynn. Uh, They are trading Lance Lynn to the Chicago White Sox. We don't know the details yet because the person that leaked it uh, (laughs) uh, said that he uh, wasn't supposed to talk about it and – so we don't know who it's for, but he's going to the White Sox to uh, to be reunited with Tony La Russa. Lance Lynn was a rookie on the St. Louis Cardinals when uh, Tony La Russa was the manager uh, for the Cardinals. So it's a guy that he is uh, very familiar with. Uh, he won a World Series in 2011 with Tony La Russa in St. Louis. Uh, so Lynn's been very good. For Texas, 22-14 and 14 in 46 starts over the last two seasons uh, with 335 strikeouts and 292 innings. Uh, he is scheduled to make $8 million bucks in 2021. It's the final year of a contract that he signed uh, with Texas. So it's a, it's a one-year a one year deal, but, uh, you know, doesn't mean that White Sox can't resign. What's going to be interesting is finding out what Texas is going to get in return. Um, Texas is low. I mean, uh, Chicago is loaded with young players. I don't think they're going to get back any of their young studs, but they still have a couple of pretty good, uh, prospects in the minor leagues. And you would think they're going to want to get, um, some kind of uh, major league talent back in return, uh, for a guy like this who will look, you, you put this guy right at the top of the rotation, uh, with Lucas Giolito and, uh, Chicago, we already know they've got a very dangerous offensive lineup. Now you add this to their pitching staff, and uh, that's going to make that White Sox team very, very good uh, in 2021. That's going to be an interesting team. So we'll keep stay tuned. We don't know uh, uh, all the particulars yet. But uh, there was another trade with the uh, the Angels last night. We'll talk about that when we come back. we got to take a break. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. It's uh, 32 minutes past the hour, and uh, some news has come down about the uh, – more news about the trade for Lance Lynn. In return, uh, Texas is going to get Dane Dunning, 
who is the number six prospect in the White Sox system. Um, and they're also going to get left-handed pitcher Avery Weems, who was the sixth-round pick for the White Sox back in uh, 2019. Dunning's a guy that he has been up. I think he has pitched um, a few games in the majors uh, for the White Sox, I believe. He came up and has pitched a little bit. I don't have the particulars. I'll have to look that up. But uh, So they get a couple of young pitchers in return, and they free up $8 million dollars. Uh, in salary, so the uh, the first shot has been fired uh, by uh, uh, General Manager uh, Chris Young. So we'll keep an eye on uh, what else he's got planned. The other move that came down yesterday, a guy that has been rumored to be on the move a few times, uh, finally is Rysel Inglesias was traded from the Cincinnati Reds yesterday to the Anaheim Angels. Well, or the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, again, one of the dumbest names in football, right up there with the Washington football team. Uh, but Iglesias is a guy that has saved uh, 100 games for the Reds over the last four years, a guy that's got a career ERA of about just right, right around three, a career whip of 1.1, which is outstanding. But this gives a very fiscally conservative Cincinnati Reds team some flexibility. Uh, as uh, Iglesias was scheduled to make uh, $9 million uh, this year in the final year of his contract. In return, uh, Cincinnati gets uh, Noe Ramirez uh, along with a, a player to be named later uh, from the Angels. So another new general manager trying to make a uh, a splash with his team, Perry Manassian. Look, the, the, we know that the Angels have offense. They have Anthony Rendon. They have Mike Trout. Uh, you know, they have some weapons. You know, they, they're in the, the final year of Albert Pujols. Now, while Albert, you know, isn't the Albert of old, it's still a, he's still a guy that, you know, as a designated hitter can hit you 25 to 30 home runs a year. Uh, they've got plenty of weapons offensively in Los Angeles, but they needed pitching. Uh, you know, they need starting pitching as well, uh, but having a guy in the back end of their bullpen has also been a problem for this Angels team over the last few years. Uh, you know, and Artie Moreno, uh, bringing Manassian in, I'm sure one of the first things he says is, <laughs> get get us some pitching. Uh, Ramirez is a guy, is uh, is kicked around. He was actually Red Sox property at one time. Uh, he's going to be 31 years old this, uh, uh, this year. He's a guy that has been fairly effective for the angels, but he's kind of been a, a middle relief kind of guy. He hasn't been a, um, uh, hasn't been a closer, but he's, you know, pitched 21 games last year, had an ERA of three, uh, you know, and so it's, it's a good return for Cincinnati and he's cheap. So a, a another move by, uh, the angels and I'm sure Manassian's not done and he's got his sights set. Uh, on starting pitching, and uh, he's already been in touch with some of the big names, and uh, uh, so we'll see. But I, I would I would suspect uh, another guy that they are going to be in on is a Japanese star, uh, Tomoyuki uh, Sugano, who has been posted by his Japanese league team, the Yomori Giants, and uh, the, the bidding is actually going to start today. Actually started at 8 o'clock this morning and runs through 5 p.m. on January the 7th. Um, 
Now you may have you may remember Sugano. He actually started for Japan in the uh, the World Baseball Classic against the United States in the last uh, World Baseball Classic in the semifinals. Uh, he did not get a decision, but he pitched well. He only allowed an unearned run in three hits in six innings. I, I would be a little cautious here. Be look. Teams are going to overbid for this guy simply because of the dearth of quality starting pitching in the major leagues. But, you know, Japanese pitchers are a risk. It's a mixed bag. Look, there have been some very, very good Japanese pitchers. You can look at Masahiro Tanaka. He has been... You know, he has been an effective starting pitcher in the major leagues. There's no question about it. But remember the last big uh, guy we were talking about uh, in baseball? Everybody was excited about Yusei Kikuchi from the C- that ended up, who ended up signing with the Seattle Mariners. Remember him? Everybody couldn't wait to get a chance to sign Yusei Kikuchi. And the Mariners paid out the nose for him. Uh he has not been very good. Uh, remember uh, Hideki Arabu? <laughs> the, uh, I think he was known as the Fat Toad for a while, but he was a guy that was signed uh, by the New York Yankees and ended up being a complete bust. You know, there again, there have been some good ones. We all remember Hideo Hanomo, we, as I said, Tanaka. Uh, there have been some, uh, some great relief pitchers. From Japan, and a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say uh, that the relief pitchers from Japan probably have been more effective, by and large, than the starting pitchers from Japan. And, and I don't have any numbers to back that up. That's just a uh, just something that that I kind of think, you know, just thinking at the top of my head. But I would be I would be cautious about this. Word is that the Red Sox are very interested in Sagano and are going to be involved in the bidding. Uh, and, and it's not cheap, by the way. You have to pay a fee to the Yamori Giants just to get him. Then you got to pay the pitcher on top of it. For instance, if let's say you sign Sagano for twenty five million dollars over I don't know three years. The Yamori Giants then also get paid a 20% uh, posting agreement. So they would get $5 million bucks on top of the $25 million you sign him for. It's crazy. You know, uh, and again, you know, by and large, the Japanese major leagues are probably the equivalent of uh, AAA here in the United States, to be sure. There are some some good players in Japan. I'm not trying to say that Japanese baseball isn't any good. I'm just, you know, all I'm saying is, you know, when you look at the numbers that some of these people have over there, you have to take it with a grain of salt. And you look at the numbers that Sugano had last year in Japan, he was 14-2 and two with a 197 ERA. And in eight seasons in Japan, he's 101 and 49 with a 2.32 ERA over eight seasons. If you have an ERA of 2.32 in the major leagues over eight seasons, you're a Hall of Famer. 
I mean, you're going into the Hall of Fame. Are you telling me that this guy that's going to come over here from Japan is that level where he is going to go to the Hall of Fame? Hell no. There's no chance. So when it comes to Japanese pitching, in my mind, uh, it's buyer beware. I mean, again, you know, and I don't, Kikuchi is just one example, but, you know, they signed, Seattle signed Kikuchi to a huge contract. They signed him to a seven-year contract that pays him an average of about $17 million a year. He, you know, they are saddled with this guy through 2025. And what has Seattle gotten for Yusei Kikuchi over the first two years? They've gotten 41 starts, an 8-15 and 15 record, and an ERA of 5.39, walks and hits to innings pitch of 1.47. That's what you get for $17 million a year out of Japan. You know, and again, you know, we know that, you know, some Japanese pitchers have been effective, but if, you know, the latest one to come out, if you say Kikuchi, who was supposed to be this great starter, if, if you're the Red Sox, I would be looking at that going, hmm, uh, I don't know if I want any part of that. So, uh, Red Sox news. Uh, according to Brian O'Halloran, the general manager who works underneath, uh, uh, Heim Bloom, the Red Sox have not given up on bringing back Jackie Bradley Jr. They said that they are still in communication and are still interested in bringing JBJ back. Uh, because I think the I think the concern with the Red Sox is is they don't want to move Andrew Benintendi to center field especially considering the injury that he had last year and then the struggles he had offensively the year before, I think the Red Sox would prefer to bring him back to a familiar position in left field, so not ask him to figure out the whole you know offensive part of it and have to adjust to playing a new position on a daily basis. So the Red Sox, I think, want to bring in a true center fielder. So if that is the case... Where do you go? Well, I I talked about Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario has played left field for his entire career. So Eddie Rosario is probably not an option. That leaves one guy really as a true center fielder that you would consider bringing in there, I think. And that's uh, uh, George Springer. Now, I, I've said many times I would love to see George Springer, who's a Connecticut kid. He's from New Britain. Uh, he grew up as a Red Sox fan. I'd love to see him in Boston. Now there's, you know, he brings that baggage from Houston with him. That's part of the problem. I don't, and I, and I wonder if part of the reason we haven't heard a lot about the Red Sox being interested in Springer is because they don't want to take on any more of that Houston baggage. Look, they're already going to have to deal with that with Alex Cora. So maybe they don't want to bring in another part of that uh, Houston team. I don't know that that's the case. But that could be part of the reason why the Red Sox are realizing, you know, we may have made a misstep with Jackie and maybe we need to, uh, you know, look at trying to bring him back here. Uh, Then, of course, the question becomes, well, two things. A, 
have you damaged your relationship with Jackie by not trying to extend him while he was already here and under contract? And how much money are the Houston Astros throwing at Jackie Bradley? Have the Astros gotten to a point where they have priced you out of the Jackie Bradley sweepstakes because you're not willing to go that high? I mean, those are the two big questions. Uh, I I would love love to see JBJ back, and and I you know look we got a lot of offense out of him last year, but I don't even care. You know what? If 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 we can get two fifty out of Jackie Bradley, two fifty. That's all I ask. Hit two fifty and continue to play the defense that he has played for Boston. Sign up for that tomorrow. You know, as much as I love George Springer, nobody plays defensive center field. Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but there are one or two other guys in baseball who play defense in the outfield like JBJ does. So I would sign up for bringing him back tomorrow. 45 minutes past the hour, we're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. A few minutes left uh, this morning before uh, we uh, head off into the sunset. A um, you know a big thing about I was thinking about free agency and uh, one of the things that uh, we haven't talked a lot about is we talked about the rules that were put in place for Major League Baseball last year, the universal DH, uh, you know, the runner on second base, all the other things that they did last year that they probably are not going to do this year. We don't know what are, what's going to stick, what's not. But one of the things, as we are in the free agent process, and one of the things that must be slowing some things down, especially for National League teams, is the following. We still don't know if there is going to be a universal DH now next year. Now, and a lot of people think we should keep it. I was against the universal DH. And I have to be honest, as a baseball purist, I still like the pitchers hitting. Okay. You know, we can, and and we can argue that till the cows come home. I'm okay with the universal DH, but I also like the strategy that having the pitcher hit brings into a game. You know, we've long not had that in baseball and in college. We've had the DH forever. All right. Uh, And I get it. But I always, there's something about having a manager in the fifth or sixth inning. And then maybe it's not as big a deal now. Maybe I'm making too much of it where pitchers aren't going much past the sixth inning anyway. But I like the idea of having to make a decision. And maybe in modern day baseball, maybe the manager's got to make the decision in the fourth inning. You've got a couple of runners on, a runner in scoring position, and one out, and the pitcher slot coming up. Do you stick with your pitcher? who maybe is, uh, you know, throwing a shutout, you know, maybe he's winning one nothing in the fourth, but you've got a, a big runner on second or a big runner on third. Do you bring in a pinch hitter then? <laughs> and again, we can argue this at the cow come I realize, I realize Dave Massey that pitchers are almost automatic outs. I get it. Okay. And, and, uh, you know, but you have to admit that I, Making a manager make a strategic decision is not a bad thing. It's not. In the American League, let's say runners on second and third, one out, fourth inning, one nothing game. You really want those two, you know, insurance runs or whatever. Uh, your pitcher's pitching great. Maybe he's only at 45 pitches, but maybe you got to make a decision 
whether you pull them to try to get those runs in from second and third base. In the American League, you don't have to worry about it. Your pitcher can continue to pitch because you got a DH. In the National League prior to that, you would have to make that decision. Do you roll with the hot pitcher or do you go for the offense? I just like I just like managers having to make a decision. I like managers having to actually earn their money. <laughs> and maybe that's a little harsh, but I I just so but now, having said that, I get that most pitchers can't hit. <laughs> I get it. You know, 99.9% of them can't hit a lick. You know, we've got probably a half a dozen pitchers in Major League Baseball that are decent hitters. And even by decent, that means that they could probably hit 240. Okay? And, you know, maybe hit a ball out every now and then. So I get it. So I'm also okay with the universal DH. But my point here is the following. If you're a GM in the National League, and you don't know yet whether you're going to have the DH, it's going to affect players that you try to lure in free agency. For instance, maybe you are the Colorado Rockies, just throwing a team out there, and you love the idea of being able to bring Nelson Cruz to Colorado to DH because thinking about Nelson Cruz hitting in that rare air for 81 games is pretty exciting to you. But if you don't know for sure you have a DH, you don't check in on Nelson Cruz because you're sure as hell not putting him in the outfield. You know, there are guys that are free agents that are not going to get as much attention from well, or get any attention from half the league until we know for sure if there is going to be a universal DH. So it seems to me that Major League Baseball and the Players Association need to get together on this quickly. And if you're the Players Association who are looking out for your players and you want to keep jobs available for guys, you would think that you know Tony Clark would be in Rob Manfred's ear right now saying, hey, let's get this hammered out so we know whether or not we're, you know, we can get guys jobs this year. Just, you know, uh, it's just kind of strange that that has not been talked about yet. Um, the NHL has uh, decided they are going to start their season on January 13th, and they are going to reduce the number of games. Uh, instead of playing 80 games, they're going to play 56 uh, they were originally hoping for a January 1 start. They couldn't get that done. Uh, so now they're saying that it's going to be 56, and they're going to be playing in their home buildings. There is going to be some realignment. There's going to be a Canadian division because uh, the Canadian border is closed. So there's going to be three U.S. divisions and one in Canada. They're going to try to keep travel down, so you will see some realignment simply uh, for those reasons right now. Uh, and we still have some teams that are trying to play uh, outside Bruins being one of them. The Pittsburgh Penguins are doing that. The Dallas stars are doing that. So we may see some teams trying to play outside, uh, as well, but a uh, January 13th start, uh, for the NHL, uh, a couple other quick things before we get out of here. I want to, a couple of guys passed away. I wanted to mention, uh, Dick Allen died yesterday at the age of 78. Dick Allen. Uh, I remember him from when I was a kid, this guy could literally tear the cover off the ball. He hit the snot out of the ball. 1964 NL Rookie of the Year uh, with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, he won an M AL MVP in 1972 uh, with the Chicago White Sox. 
that year he hit uh, 37 home runs and drove in 113, and he also led the AL in on-base percentage and slugging percentage. Uh, uh, a guy that uh, uh, over his career, uh, 292 career hitter, 351 homers, over 1,100 runs batted in, and a 912 OPS in 15 seasons. Pretty impressive numbers. Missed the Hall of Fame by one vote. Uh, a guy who played in a time uh, in, and in a city in Philadelphia where racism was prevalent, had people throwing things at him during games, would dump garbage on his front lawn while he played for the, for the Phillies. I mean, it's just disgusting. But a guy that refused to, uh, to bend, a guy who stood up to it, a guy who used to uh, uh, take his cleats in the dirt and spell out the word no, as in no, I'm not going to take this, or he would spell out the word boo with his cleats just to kind of give it back to the fans a little bit. Uh, and that may have been part of the reason that uh, uh, he left Philadelphia. You know, he spent seven years in Philly. Uh, he also played with the Cardinals and the Dodgers. And then he was actually lured back to Philadelphia by the great Mike Schmidt, the Hall of Fame third baseman. Got him, he got him to come out of retirement uh, to come back and play for the Phillies in 1975. Uh, the Phillies retired his number um, and, uh, and broke a team rule. They did not retire numbers for anybody um, who wasn't in the Hall of Fame. And uh, they broke that rule to retire Dick Allen's number last year. So uh, good for them. Uh, Dick Allen, a great, great baseball player, passes away at the age of 78. Uh, and one other quick note, a guy who passed away, Chuck Yeager died uh, yesterday at the age of 97 years old. Chuck Yeager, the first guy to break the sound barrier. Uh, he was a World War II fighter pilot. Uh, he was a test pilot. He was uh, part of the original uh, group of people that... Uh, uh, were involved with NASA to become an astronaut. Uh, he, he was uh, featured in the movie The Right Stuff. Um, came out of the uh, the hills of West Virginia. Flew for more than sixty years. Uh, and uh, including, by the way, uh, when he was seventy nine years old, he took a, a, a pilot of a plane at seventy nine years old at a thousand miles an hour. God bless him. And by the way, a guy who was very active on social media. I actually followed him on Twitter. He was he engaged with a lot of people on Twitter in, in his 90s. God love him. So he uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 97, so I just wanted to recognize uh, a great American uh, uh, hero. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. It looks like we have our sound problems solved, and so hopefully uh, no issues tomorrow. We leave you with some more holiday music. Here's Kelly Clarkson, Reba McIntyre, and Trisha Yearwood with their version of Silent Night. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.